Englishman in San Diego. At the International Comics Expo, Margate 2018. So it's a case of, I think there were three people sitting there. So sit right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. sit in their seat. Those three people? Sit in they're their seat. Back. I think they're back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. And, they, they, and they'll, have to, they'll have to come back and they'll just go, ah, ah, sorry. Oh, oh. Yeah, so tell yeah. you what, just drop that middle seat down and we'll, we'll go from there. And I'll sit over here. I'm sure they'll be suspicious and wonder what the hell I'm, we're doing. I'm happy with that. There you go. At least be, a row. I'm just going to say, I'm just gonna say if, we, if we sat right they, to beside you, if we sat to the left and right of you, that could be really creepy. But there we go. So Margate's treating you well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a nice... It's a fun little intimate con, and I'm really enjoying the atmosphere. Everyone's really the venue, happy. The venue's awesome. Absolutely. I love venues yeah. like this. Cool. I think people are aware of your work um, yes. but they're not so much aware about yourself personally because there's not a great deal um, out there so I'd like to kind of find out more yeah, about I yourself yeah I don't have that online persona see the thing persona. about these days is everybody's uh, it's weird because I'll watch other people's uh, feeds on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and it's it's just gotten way too personal it's like is it, is so different? much information about them, and now everybody's got to be a star. It's like you got to, <laughs> you know, you got to post pictures of you doing things and like all this stuff. And I understand it. You have to, in order to develop a career, you have to promote yourself now to the extreme. You got to do what an actor has to do to get recognized. Yeah, which uh, I understand because now everybody, not everybody. If you went back twenty five years, not many people wanted to do comic books. You know, people that wanted to do comic books really loved comic books. You know, and they got into it, and they were considered freaks. You know, <laughs> geeky freaks. Oh, you're into that superhero stuff. That's you know? a question I was going to actually start with. It's a, co- a question I start a number of my interviews yeah. with, because I actually like this one, because there seems to be, there is a stigma against comics and comic artists. To the point Not where, anymore. To, to, some, to the point where some, they have, there's so many different titles. I mean, Emma mentioned it in hers, that, yeah. you know, a sequential artist, a, ca- a cartoonist, how do you introduce yourself at parties? I, I, say I, I am. I, I tell, no, I, I tell them flat out I'm a comic book artist. Yeah. And people are like, what? And then most people are like, really? And I said, yeah, I work for Marvel, I work for DC. And they're like surprised. They're like, wow, I've never met a comic book artist before. You know, I've never shied away from that. I don't see any reason why. Yeah. Because it's like, well, how do I explain myself? I could say I'm an artist. Oh, sometimes I'll say I'm an artist. Now, what kind of artist? Well, I'm actually and a published you, yeah. artist. And I'm a comic book artist, and I do this, and I work for this. And they, then they're, like, fascinated. Most people are generally fascinated. And usually at the time, I'm doing, uh, uh, at my friend's bar, I'm doing realistic head sketches, too. Hanging out with people and doing real, you know. So that gets the conversation going. Because then they see you have talent, and they go, oh, well, you know, what else do you do? Well, I've done this, and I work for this. And, and they're like, oh, wow, you, you're, you're not, like, some pseudo-artist. You actually, you know, this is a job. A career, and you're like, yeah, you know, and they're very surprised by that. You're based, are you based, are you from New York? Born and raised like a born veal. and raised like a veal. Now, we were talking about uh, we had a local heroes panel yesterday, and they were talking about because um, this area has a very vibrant artist and comics artist community, but it's very much informed by the area and about the tone and about the, the vibe of the area, which kind of not only informs their writing and their production 
right. but also the, the end product as well. Do you find that with New York? Is it something that kind of uh, you know, gets the juices flowing? New York's changed a lot. And, and uh, you know, again, I hate to go hard back and go back like oh, 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, New York was the center of comic books. And the reason why was because Marvel had their offices there. And they still do to this day for the last 40 years. And DC did also until DC moved to uh, California. But even in the tri-state area of Jersey, there's Dynamite, there's Valiant is still in, in uh, has their offices in New York City. So it is the comic book center of the world in a way. And back before everything was sent digitally. Did that kind of inform you, you getting know, into the industry then? So like being in that. Well, I mean, it's funny because I went to the high school art and design, and how I ended up in comics was a, it's kind of like what? It's, it's kind of like a, a left turn in a weird way because I ended up in a painting class with this ama- these amazing teachers, Irving Greenberg, Mexico, and they were they were a, a fine art. Yeah, you know all your stuff. Yeah, we sold it. Sorry, we, we yeah we, we got rid of it. <laughs> We deliberately chose these chairs so you'd have to come back and see oh, us. Like, they're back! <laughs> we, we decided to have the chat right in your spot. Yeah, right. And by all means, if you want to uh, join us, uh, you, you're more Remember to hand the, uh, the stuff back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you're talking about, um, yeah. Uh, but so New York is the center of uh, everything. But the, back to the high school thing, I was taught painting. Even though I knew comics, um, and George Perez lived in my neighborhood at the time, and I met George Perez when I was 16, and he gave me my first ad- comic advice, and it was like, "Kid, use a ruler," <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, but I wanted to go to art school, so art and design. Uh, when I ended up there, I ended up with these fine art teachers that taught me painting, and I got really into it. But he, they, they had a morning painting class. All you had to do is show up at the morning painting class or the afternoon painting class, and he'd give you 100 percent. You know, it's the class. <laughs> and so, but once you're in there, you realize you saw every. The great thing about it is alumni were allowed to come up to the class and paint with them. And so they would paint an hour and a half before the school opened. And you got to see working professionals hanging out with you, painting and teaching you. And it was like, I was blown away by that. And then he, when he asked me, Well, what do you want to do? And I said, Well, I'm a comic book artist. And he goes, Comic books? This guy here does comic books. And I go, who's this guy? This guy's Mark Texier. I go, Mark Texier, you're on Warlord. You know, he's like, yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, I know your work. Like, and suddenly everything changed. I became his assistant on his backgrounds and stuff. And uh, I was doing my samples and everything. And at the time, he was working, uh, he went from DC to working at Marvel. And John Romita Sr. had a, an apprentice program. They had an artist apprentice program where... You would work with John Ramita, and you would uh, the, the art corrections that would come from all the editors would come to John, and then John would just give us, he'd tell us what to do here, fix this, and, and we would do it. And in that time, you had like six months to a year to build a portfolio, get to know the editors, show you work, get working, and then, and then leave. I've heard that John Ramita, while being very supportive to talent, can be very brutal. Senior? Into, yeah. No, no way. He's the sweetest guy you'll ever meet in the really? world. Are you kidding? Jeremy the senior. I'd heard that when he, if you were good and you had yeah. a talent that could be developed, and there was things that, could, yeah. All oh, right, okay. I'd never, I, I'd never experienced that, yeah. and I've never seen him being any other way than like 
very respectful and, and, and loving. Like he's just a nice guy, and, and, and that reflects in his son, John Romita yeah. Jr. is just as awesome as he is. He's just a really great. I've never guy. seen that guy without a smile on his face. Yeah, I mean, and and that's because of his parents. His pa- Virginia Romita worked up there too running uh, production. She was in charge of the trafficking of, of the books, making sure that everything ran smoothly. You know, because a lot of things can happen in the process between stuff going to the colorers, or getting ready to go to the printers. She was in charge of a lot of that. And so she was, and John was art director, you know. So the, it was a family business yeah, for them, absolutely. you know. So you, you went to the course. I mean, what was, would you say, the biggest lesson you took away from that course? Uh... You mean? Uh, was it more? I mean, you mean you're more? talking about the artist program? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I ended up working. Oh, okay. I ended up working. I, I showed my samples to the point where I finally got work, and um, and because you're only supposed to stay a certain amount of time, and if you haven't gotten work, they kind of like say, well, now you got to go. You know, you've been here too long, kind of thing. But they never really officially said it because sometimes they needed to keep guys that knew what they were doing. You know, some guys would stay long. Some guys didn't even stay that long. Kevin McGuire was on. Uh, also part of it he didn't last three he in three months he got work he was out you know and he started his career right there right yeah. there and then and there are guys like joe maggiardo started their careers as interns at marvel and then eventually got work i mean he was working i think he was working since he was 18 or 16 or something. i think a lot of people um come to a, certainly young artists they come yeah. to conventions like this and they are trying to work out yeah. The best way to get into the, the industry. business has changed so, now, it's, especially nowadays. Yeah, yeah. It, it's now it's cutthroat. Now everybody wants. Is to it be volume? What? Is it just the amount of artists that are out there? Every look before nobody, before the internet access and everything like that. Once once an internet, everything went digital. Artists now you can get artists from all over the world. People that didn't have an opportunity now have an opportunity. So there's a lot of good talent out there. So in, in order to get in a comic, uh, so you have to work really hard, get your stuff shown, meet editors, get to know them, hopefully develop a relationship where you get better and then they see it and they give you a chance. And then there are, uh, I have friends like Pepe Calderos who, who reps artists from Spain or different parts of the world, and he finds talents, and if they're good enough, he'll say, all right, he'll kind of like say, all right, you need to work on this, you need to work on that, and if they come back and they're good enough, then he's able to go to D.C. and show the work and see if he can get them work. And that's how other people get work. Um, but it's a process. You, now, before, when you went into comics, you could grow. You could learn to get better. Now, you have to you be You have to be good. in the ground You running. have to be just ready. You have to be... You know, because it's people don't realize that you're doing 22 pages of artwork a month, panel artwork, and they think it's easy, and it's not. It's a job. You sit down and you work. Now the art is so competitive. It's so some artwork is so detailed oriented. It takes a long time to do. What's, and, what is your process in terms of? Well, uh, yeah. Is it um, pencil first? Well, yeah. You get scan, if you if you're working if you got a cover, you're working from the idea. You 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 do your sketches and then. The, the, you execute the cover but with uh, scripts it's like with every book it's like anything else it's like movies you, you're you going to come in you got to know the characters you got to know how, the, how they are who they are and when, once you get the script it basically the script is like any story where it's telling you what's going on with these characters and it's broken down uh, before there used to be the Marvel script, which is more loose. Marvel scripts could be like a, a plot where it basically says... The Indians take the fort. Right, yeah. The Indians <laughs> take the fort, uh, make sure the thing is doing this, and this is... A, and then it would go like uh, pages two and three or a fight scene between the thing and the Hulk. Have fun. 
I've seen scripts like that. And, and you have to really understand the characters to be able to just, you, you know, the editor trusts you to know that you'll be able to flesh that out. I mean, if you ever see John Buscema flesh out a story, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It, he's amazing. His brain works. And, and Jack Kirby laid out uh, 10 books a month. 10. That's unheard of. He would do t- 10 books a month layout, and then because they were competent anchors, competent, people forget that anchors uh, back in the day had to be artists themselves. They still have to be artists themselves now. That's the question. And that people I think that inking's all about just filling in the line. And, 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 yeah, sure, but you know, there's more to it. You have to understand what's going on in the story. What if the artist back in the day was rushed, the book had to be penciled really quickly, and he forgot certain details on the costume? As the anchor, you have to remember that. Oh, well, he, oh, this is so and so. I better make sure he didn't put the caution details. I got to make sure I, you would pencil in the caution details or fix certain things as it went along. You know, the inker had to really fully flesh out some of the work because a lot of the work was done under a tight deadline. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where the trust comes between the penciler and the inker, where, the, you know, they find that's why teams stick together. Yeah. Once they have a good blend. Now, pencilers are so ridiculously tight, it's all about like the finesse, but it's unnecessary. Well, yeah. I, I was also, I mean, when I was asking about your process, I was also asking about the actual physical process. Are you digital or? Yeah, I do some things. I still do things by hand. It's more fun, you know, but digital offers the more variety of textures and, you know, you don't have to worry about if you spill your ink bottle on the page, <laughs> you know what I mean? And go like, oh my God, because you already, digitally, you already have the file, you know, saved. Uh, so if it's something does happen, you know, it's what's it? Delete? back to work again you know what I mean yeah um, but the, the the sad thing about that as time goes on eventually the next generation it's all about doing things on Manga Studio Manga Studio is such a great program uh, and they're not gonna there'll be no original work yeah. it'll just die off I speak to a number of creators and they turn around and say while especially um, people for like the big two yeah. uh, doing like you say the volume work but they then try to do as much as they can um, large form as actual pages because yeah. at least then they can have something to take to conventions to sell. Yeah. Yeah, because well, I mean, I, 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 you speak to a number of the older right. artists and they're like going, well, we're actually okay because we've got all these pages we can yeah. we can sell. But then these the younger artists, what are you going to do? Sell them a PDF? It's just... It doesn't quite work like that. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I mean, you could you could probably you know uh, get a splash from yeah. the book and print it out and make a bunch of them prints and be stuff, able yeah. to sell some okay. prints on it. Uh, you know, but it, it, you, so, most people will look at that. They want it colored too, so you got to get it colored. <laughs> well, that's good. That was going to bring me on to another question. It's a question. process. Everything's was, a process. Yeah, another question. Uh, it's actually a question that a friend of mine I wanted to be put forward because he's feeling that. In 2018 and nowadays, the Incas are becoming more and more marginalized because um, well, it's becoming now like yeah. uh, um, pencil inks and colors done by one artist, right. and that um, somewhere down the chain, there are some people that are getting and the colorists. Uh, well, the colorists have become more important in the game now. Right. And, uh, and, they, and they, basically, it's proactive now. Our uh, editors look for people to do everything. In other words, they do the pencil and the inks. You know, um, uh, but it, you know, there's still something romantic about the whole like, you know, what does this guy look like? Inks over so and so. So there, there's still people that are doing it that that are high up 
you know, it's a. If you let the the the, the guy do everything, he's got to be really good with getting stuff done, and that's that's all important. You miss deadlines, they cost them money, and they don't like to lose money mm-hmm. on like getting a book out. So, if you're if Dave hires somebody that's doing it, everything, you know, penciling and inking, not the coloring. Then they gotta they gotta hope that this guy's you know makes his schedule and gets twenty two pages done every month. Yeah, you know, because then if they don't, they're gonna have to slot somebody else in there. And that's that that starts to become a hassle. You know, you're, they start jumbling. You know, they'll hand a uh, four issue arc to one guy and maybe a six issue arc to the next guy. And you, you know, people uh, now, you know, you you appreciate consistency. Yeah. Like when you watch Walking Dead, you're happy to see those characters that you've grown with for a length of time. And if anybody of them get killed off, you get upset. So, you know, these days when you see a team that lasts long, that's on a book for any longer than X amount of time, you're surprised. Because I, you know, I tell people I'm on a book for 50 or six issues straight. And they're surprised. Or I spend three years on Green Lantern, you know, working through different pencils and the editors and... You know, they they allow me to move on to the next guy, having faith in my work. Yeah. Do you, you know enjoy I mean? the long form? Um, gifts? Yeah, I, li- I like being on a on a book a long time. Yeah, you know, it's, it's great, but that doesn't happen anymore. No, 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 it doesn't happen anymore. No. Now, now people stand books. Maybe if they're they're really good teams, they'll stand up for a year, two years. And Is it more move. based around like the arc, the the six issue trade? Yeah, they'll base it on like whatever or however long. Somebody wants to stay on a series, but I've never seen people stay on that much longer these days. I mean, Mark Bagley holds the the record for being on the book the longest, which is like ten years or more or something. Yeah, you know, um, but th- those days are gone. Nobody, okay. you know, there's so many people coming up, so much, so many hungry other artists that is always looking for the new thing. And um, well, let, let's let's go back to a little bit more. Um um, happier times then. Ah. <laughs> just to very quickly explain them. Um, so, this is very much a fireside chat kind of thing. So if there's any questions, yeah, any questions throw in. it I mean, out I, I, if, if I'm suddenly going, I mean, hang on, they we look want to traumatized talk about this as well. Do, do jump right. in. Um, what was the first piece that you did where you felt, okay, this is, I, I, I can do this. This, this is, this is what I'm going to be doing now for the rest of my life. What, do you, can you remember what the first piece it was? Uh, yeah, yeah. I wonder about that. I always thought it more in terms of, well, not... It's, was it the you, first one you, know, got you don't understand something. Like when you're starting out, um, it's like anything else. It's like an actor, you know, saying, uh, why make the reference to movies and act? It's because that, that people have a better understanding of that than but artists go through the same thing. It's a, it's a growth process. If you look at artists' work from the beginning um, of their career, then to the middle and more to the end, you see them evolve. Sometimes they don't evolve, sometimes, but most of the time they do. For, from the early stages on, they evolve. You see the, them working out the, the, the kinks in their style. And then finally, once they, it, they're good and comfortable with producing pages... Then it really, they really relax, and you see them shine. You know, you could see that in Brian Hitch's work from the beginning, earlier days when he, he liked Alan Davis, so it looked a little bit more like Alan Davis. But then, as he grew into his style, he, he moves away from that, and then he really blossoms into his own style. And that happens to a lot of artists; they find their way through styles that they like, 
and then eventually something clicks and then they're like able to produce in you know they get comfortable with the work and how they're producing it and then that's when they take off and it, it doesn't how when the first time where I could do it and say like oh we're happy with something you're never happy with something <laughs> you, you're more happy with the fact that you're, you're working and that uh, you got an opportunity you're getting paid to do something you really like to do that that's where it really you know you sit and you go oh this morning I wake up and I get to draw my favorite character or I get to work on my favorite book or, or your creator own book that you've been trying to put together forever you know um that's the joy that comes out of it. You, you. There are times when you do see a piece of art, but then the deadline makes you go like, "I gotta get this thing out. I gotta, I gotta move on to the next piece." I'm sure people have that moment. Uh, but it, even the top guy, you look at Adam Hughes. Ag- Adam Hughes agonizes over every piece. You know. Uh, yes. And, he, and you know, <laughs> you, you follow his social media, you, you get that. <laughs> yeah, because he's he's sitting there. You know, to, he's a stickler for getting it right. Yeah. And that's what makes him so good. Mm. You know, but it's not like he's not going through pain. I mean, there are times when something's got to get produced. You know, they have a hard time. <laughs> what over there? Yeah. Oh, they, I didn't realize it. They can bring him closer. For goodness' sake. I they didn't know those people wanted to hear. Us. Yeah, I thought they were having lunch. Ladies um, and gentlemen, welcome yeah. to the show. So this is kind of like. I'm in the middle of my game here. I'm trying to win this section. What the hell is going on? I'm attacking with my beast. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, the, the double entendre just instantly hit my head. But that Hello. There are kids here. Okay, so you're talking about the, these great artists and finding their stride and finding their style, but yeah. obviously that's informed by the people that they were reading and also looking at. Well, everybody. Who, who was the artists that, who were the touchstones when you were kind of. Oh, I liked everybody, but yeah. my, my big go to was George Perez. George yeah. Perez, like I said, he lived in my neighborhood and he was Puerto Rican like me and he had a career in comics and this guy produced, he was a machine. Perez is a machine. I mean, he's producing two books a month on his own. Like clockwork, I don't know how he was doing that, and 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 we're talking about team books, you know, where you have to be able to draw multiple characters, multiple costumes, multiple situations. His brain was like you would just see him do stuff, and you're like, oh my god, like wow, this guy is incredible, and he still is, even yeah. to this day with all that he's 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 gone through. Because, when you, you know, hear about the, the New York scene, you also hear about people kind of like just wandering into the offices or walk, walk, wandering into... You did, could you do that. To, did you speak to George as a kid? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, well, like I said, he used to show up at the comic book shop near my oh, house. Okay. And uh, like, I, like I said, he gave me that first advice. Hey, kid, use a ruler, you know, like kind of thing. But he was always very nice and he was always very generous, you know, doing uh, sketches and stuff like that. He, you know, he just never stopped drawing. You know, he's just that kind of guy. Loves it so much that it's you know. Interesting because I've, I've met him a few times actually yeah. myself, and um, uh, I was uh, talking to him about the Infinity Gauntlet series. Right. That he did because he did the first three. Yeah. But he wanted to get it so right, I and mean, there were so many characters in it that he only did the first three because he couldn't keep up with the demands to actually get the last three done. Yeah. He was doing other stuff as well at the time, and he just he wasn't fast enough. And that's why Marvel just said, all right, yeah, you can get, I think it's Ron Yeah, Ron um, jumped in. Ron yeah. another machine. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. His brain works on multiple dimensions. Yeah, yeah. But you I mean, know. George was um, amazing artwork. 
But you see, that's him agonizing. Mm, that's it. In the middle of still producing two books a month, multiple characters with a multiple complex story. I mean, Infinity Gauntlet. Doing? Can you imagine doing that series and then try, you know working on another series at the same time? Your brain is exploding. You know. So uh, you, some there's some people that are just you know born with this ability, this gift, and he has it. You know. When it comes to the um, the script works that you're getting in, which kind of script style do you prefer? Do you prefer the ones which are... Uh, it, it's better when you know, you know, how many panels on a page. Sometimes you get full scripts and you're like... I, I remember I was working on Toxic Adventure and it's like, this is a book that's supposed to be funny with big shots and whatever. And there were too many panels and too many actions in the scene, in, in the in the pages. You, I'm drawing little tiny things. You can barely see anything. And I had to say to the editor, like, you know, is there any chance we can open this up a bit? So that we can like really have fun with the action and, and be goofy in it, and and not have draw these complex scenes and these tiny panels where you can barely see what's going on, you know. That, those are the rare occasions. But most of the time, you get a script and it's like you get excited about it. You you just dive into it. You you, know? I mean, you, you're talking about the, the amount of artists that are out there nowadays and the, the kind of cutthroat. Yeah. So like industry that it's in at the moment. At which point then, how much does Ninka, how much influence do they have on kind of like the, the story then? But do they have to kind of, okay, let's, I'll do what I'm told and just get on with it. Or well, how much do you, how much can you a lot of back? A lot of guys, if they, it depends on what kind of relationship you have with the guy who's pencing. If the person does a loose style and they have, they trust you to, to finish up stuff, then they, they can relax a bit and really focus on the story. You know, and they could, you know, if they miss something, they know that the guy that's working with them will catch that and fix it and add to it. So there's, there's a bit of trust. But a lot of these guys today, uh, you know, they pencil everything really tight and everything's there. So Inker's basically tracing. It's part of the reason why that end of the business is, it kind of dies off, but it's, it's getting there at that point. There seems to be a, a bit of a cyclical thing at the moment. It's the, the the, 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 the pencils that I'm hearing or seeing nowadays, they are looser. Right. Uh, so, I mean, uh, Stuart Eminent is uh, probably my best example yeah. of that. He really comes, he almost takes it all the way back and he lets his inca right. because have fun. They, so they, much fun. Yeah, because they, they built a relationship where he, he doesn't have to worry about how, he knows, he knows that, that his inca knows what he's thinking and where he's going to go with that. And he has a certain look that he likes over his work from that guy. So they, they stick together. They stick working together. You know, it's very rare that relationships break up uh, unless it's just something complex happens or it's personal. You know, there's many reasons that it could change. But generally, the teams that stick together stick together. And then there's always the dreaded deadline comes in and something's just got to be handed to other people. Yeah. When you have the pressures of a deadline like that on a monthly book, right. do, do you find you have time to have like a back and forth with the other people in the team? No, you're barely having a back and forth with anybody else on the other team because, uh, first of all, the editors don't like you communicating. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. Is they like to keep things running smoothly, and if they, they're talking, then they're not working, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, you can have some communication... But it's pointless because, like I said, now that guy's on the other end of the world or whatever. So, um, so it's really about developing relationships. Yeah, you you know if you if trust. if you're good, then 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 the pencil will request you, and then you know he constantly requests you. Then then you're good. Then you know you have a working relationship, and then that's it. You know, 
you know that you can rely on that being your, your regular gig with that guy. Well, I mean, but, it's got to be said, I'm not entirely aware of what you're working on at the moment. Cause well, I was working I was Steve Scott on uh, the last two projects for, right. that he did. Uh, did uh, Independence Day and um, this last series, uh, Normandy Gold. Okay. And I was I also was doing some I'm penciling inking some Doctor Who covers for uh, Titan. Um, that that's what we were doing. Right. Because I was trying to work out where you are at the moment in the in your current uh, working process. Uh, I mean, are you? Well, right now I got to go back to looking again. So yeah. it's like you know, it's back to the grind of like, ah, oh, hello, hello, I'm alive, I'm not yeah. dead. How often do you, I mean, is it a case of pitching? Uh, no, you, you just you, at you, this point in your career, how hard you, you do go you have and to you, pitch? you have to always go and talk to people and yeah. find out what's going on and see if they'll put you on something. It's it, what's available if they they want to because sometimes they'll have a certain uh, uh, you know an editorial they'll have a certain idea of what they want you know. And there are not a lot of books where they're looking for somebody. So you usually have to come in with, on a project. Uh, you know, you, you say, hey, I got a guy that I'm working with. You know, this is the style we're doing. Um, you know, it takes the, the, them worrying about having to look for people. But at the same time, it's, it's helpful because then they go, oh, we know what that looks like now. Let's get them on a book. Yeah. You know. But you have to be the the key thing is reliability because a lot of people come into the business thinking like, oh, I'm going to be able to do this. And then some people don't realize that it, it's like running a marathon. Um, if you don't know how to run that marathon, if you, if you can only run a 5K and you're now thrown into a marathon and you don't, you don't get up to speed, then you, you're not going to work and then the next guy's going to get the opportunity you had. Yeah. You know. Because I think the reason why I wanted to ask the question is certainly on um, it, the big two, even moving on to like... Uh, a number of the other publishers, there's no such thing as a house style anymore. And in fact, the styles are getting very eclectic and very. Um, oh no, I, dis I disagree with that. That no? uh, DC definitely has a house style. A lot. There's a lot of guys that have very similar styles to each other that are on the top books. Um, and Marvel does too. There's certain certain styles at Marvel. You just don't notice it because you have to see it. Because there's so many books and you see so many different styles, but if you, you look at certain key books that like uh, um, that are like uh, JLA, series Batman, books, yeah, yeah the, the ones that are crossovers, yeah. the ones that are big event books, you'll see a very similar look to the styles because they want to keep that look consistent. Do you think so that's look, a, an actual decision or is it like an organic process? I think yeah, it's like more of like an organic. It's an organic process to keep that look of that series similar. Yeah, you know, like maybe having somebody like yeah, like because they can't have too quirky a style where someone's not gonna. It's a when, when it's That's that what big, goes for. yeah, when, <laughs> when it's that big of a book, they they need it to to have like a very uh, you know recognizable superhero style, you know. And there's there's a couple of different guys that have that style, um, and they they focus on that, looking towards some you know like it's the reason why Olivier Copiel will do a lot of big events or Linnell Yu they have a certain look that they're looking for on, on to have on these series and that those are go-to guys you know they know that those guys can handle big event series that are going to have complex storylines and be able to draw them you know because it does take it takes a lot of energy you got to sit down and you you know if it's a big event book the editor is going to be like all right so we're going to get this going there's a lot of referencing that's got to be done there's a lot of like, all right, who's, who's, uh, who do I need to know who's going to be in this series? What exactly is going to be happening? Where is this going? 
you know, so everything's got to be paced out. So you need someone that has that ability to do that. And that's, that's why it's so, it, it's complex when people, you, you know, think it's easy to do comics. It's like doing movies, except, you know, the, the pencils being the, the, you have the writer who's who plotted out the whole thing, wrote the whole thing. But now the, the cinematographer, that director, uh, he's got to sit down and, and pull together all the parts he's going to need to do his film, you know, to execute the drawing. You know. Do you think there's any departments in the uh, production at the moment which are being misaligned? I mean, we were talking about uh, colorists. Yeah. Departments and, uh, are like, what do you mean? Like, well, you uh, like the colorists and the, the, the if anyone that's being kind of shortchanged by these intense deadlines. Well, every, I mean, look, they not everybody can handle it, but that's why sometimes they realize if it's if it's a really big thing that they're trying to get out. Yeah. An example is. Uh, when DC did the original 52, you know, they had a, a writers, a bunch of writers teams because it's, it's a book a week that they're doing. So, you know, these writers are working through, they have a major plot from beginning to end, but they're still working through the, the issue per issue of what's going on, you know, and some things are done last minute sometimes toward the end. And once, once 52 was winding down, it did so well that they, they, right in the middle of it, toward the end, they were ramping up for Countdown. Yeah. The, the, the big year series for Countdown because they're like, well, let's keep the ball rolling. And so who do we have that was working on this series that we can pull into the next one kind of thing? Okay. You know? And uh, I, you know, I was working on that. I was pitching in, helping out to keep the deadline and some books toward the end of 52, and then they pulled me in only later in Countdown when the, they needed to catch up again, you know? So it's like that. It's like knowing who's going to be able to get the stuff done and capable of doing it and without going insane, <laughs> you know? Okay. Let's uh, think a bit more positive. Like you say, um, there's, getting to the point where there's going to be some pitching involved. Is there any characters, is there any books that you would like to work on? Is there anything... Any, uh, oh, I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know if it'll ever happen. It's yeah. always Doctor Strange. You know, really? No why. Yeah. Always Doctor Strange. It's my favorite character. He's the man, <laughs> the magic man. It also helps that he's having one. There's a couple that are having a hell of a resurgence. Well, here's the irony. Now they film they film all these movies in New York a lot. Um, when they were filming Doctor Strange, they were filming right around this uh, comic shop, this Jim Hanley's Universe, which was on Thirty Third Street, right by the um, it was right around the Empire State Building area, and. Uh, and I remember looking on TV and like, they're filming right up like 20 blocks from my house. And uh, I was like, I could just go up there and like watch, you know, see if I could see anything, come back just in this Doctor Strange. And lo and behold, I didn't do it. And the minute I didn't do it, Cumberbatch ends up after the set, after the shooting, goes to Jim Hanley's universe in costume. Yep. And holds up one of the issues and points to it and hangs out at the store. And people are like, the, the, the four or five people in the store, their jaws are on the floor. They're like, oh my God. And my, my friend calls me up and she's like, you know, if you would have gone, Dr. Strange is filming up there. And they, he went into Jim Hanley's. I'm like, don't tell me this. Oh God, I can't believe I didn't go up there. Jesus Christ, I could have like got a photo or something. When it yeah. comes to, because um, we were talking about this yesterday, right. uh, about the, the way that the, the films have very much got a massive, and continue to have a massive audience, right. and people are getting more um, influence and so finding out more about the characters. But there doesn't seem to be that translation then back to comic sales at the moment. 
What, what do you, what do you <laughs> see that? Well, I mean, that, look, I mean, uh, short of bringing it back to newsstands or something, it, the distribution's got to be done differently. The, or the approach of selling comics has got to be done differently. I, th I think the problem uh, really, and, and eventually it will happen, the, the monthlies will go away. Um, and the reason why I say that, if they do, they'll, they'll be pared down for like very serious collectors, the amount that they'll put out. Uh, and make them very collectible if they reduce the amount they produce. And what will happen is, is that they'll do story arcs. Like they do now, what does really well for the companies is the trade paperbacks. Trade paperbacks can stand in stands forever. So what they do on the monthlies is you get an arc of six issues or whatever, and then they immediately turn it into a trade and get it on the stands uh, in the bookstores and everything. And they do do well, but you don't notice, people don't notice those book sales. They, what they focus is on, on, the, on the monthly. Oh, the monthly books are not doing well. They're not selling well. Of course they're not selling well because people are buying more trade paperbacks. You know, they want to read the whole story arc. They don't want to wait month to month. A lot of people don't want to wait month to month. They want to sit and get their, they want to binge. This is the way people binge watch on Netflix. People want to binge their comic book issues, their comic book stories. So they want to binge from the beginning to the end. They don't want to wait month to month. They don't want to have to go into the store to remember, fuck, I got to go in and get my next issue or else I'm going to miss the middle of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you say no, no advertisings in it either. So, you know, I, I think it's gone... I think what people are not noticing is, yeah, the monthlies are not selling as well, but the trade paperbacks are. People are waiting yeah. for the completed story, and then they'll read it. Fair enough. You know, you know? So when you look at monthlies, the, the sales are down because the people that are serious collectors, there's the ones left buying the books because they're getting the varying covers, and they're getting the, you know, the special issues, of, you know, and, and they're bagging them almost immediately. You know, I don't want no crease because I got to get a 9.9 on the CGGC, you know, grading. You know, that's what it's become now. It's become business. Yeah. You know, so you got a lot of people that are running the store to get that one of 50, you know, so they can like slap the freaking thing and then sell it for X amount of dollars. Well, yeah. interesting. I was just thinking, comparing that to like the UK scene, like decades back, of like how mm. it was so accessible and like a weekly reprint thing, but it was so. Yeah, there's definitely a machine to it. That is, yeah, it, that it was filling. It's filling the pages. And, well, I think that's yeah. still in place here in the UK. Uh, you have that, is, and it is for a weekly uh, deadline as well. It's the, the, the 2018 model. Um, something. You, tell me if I'm right or wrong about this, because this seems to be the way I'm perceiving it. People got into comics and then the uh, got into the um, publishing small or independent, whatever. And then the end right. goal used to be to get to the big two. Right now, it seems to be that the big two, the end goal is then creator owned. Would you well, say that's that's accurate? And there's a reason for that. that well, there's, there's, there's it's, money. Involved. Well, it's not just money, but it's uh, one of the best movies I ever saw was The Kid Stays in the Picture. And it's uh, from the famous director. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, yeah. I, uh, producer, sorry. Uh, the famous producer, I'm blanking on his name. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, same name. So, the great part about it is that when he learns, when he started acting and he did his first film, and and uh, his first film was being a bullfighter, or Robert Evans was. That's it. And. Um, he, there was an argument of whether he could actually do the part and people were saying he can't do the part and he, he learned how to become this bullfighter and he went to the set and he, he did it 
and then people were gonna wait. They waited for the director. The director got up and basically said, you know, the kid stays in the picture. That's it. Nobody can question my decision. And then he realized, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy, the director or the executive producer that gets to have that position where, you know, make things happen. And when he became producer, the first thing he realized is uh, owning the property is everything, you know. And a lot of freelancers realize, well, I got to get name recognition first. So I build a career in the big two and let people know, hey, I'm talented, I'm good, I can make things happen. And then while they're still doing their, their stuff at the big two, um, then they produce their own book and see, see if it goes somewhere, you know. Uh, try to make it happen because it, you, these days as artists they realize you know we, we have ideas too and you know we're, we're giving them to the big two and that's why image has become so big um, because the, people would go with their ideas for books get them produced and they still own the rights to them and that's the key thing to really building uh, uh, you know a decent uh, career and a living because Working with the big two, you're not gonna. They own the property. Do you get like a small percentage out of they? You know, if you do, if, if, if and, they're and doing well. And you the freedom as well. Right, and then you could go off. You don't have to worry about something. You, you can't do that in that book. Well, I'm, you know, okay, can't do that. But you go off and do your own book. Who's gonna tell you no? Yeah. Only you. You know. Is it something? Is it something that's um, appealing to you? I mean. Yeah, I mean, there there's a series I want to do with a friend of mine that I've been kind of procrastinating, but I need to get <laughs> off my ass. Um, and, and it's uh, Brandon Moncler, who actually, who's uh, done with um, Amy Reader, they did Rocket Girl. Okay. You know, which is a big series, and it's a very big series in the States that they did for a while. They just finished the, the, the last arc of it, and they're off doing their other thing. But he also, um, he also wrote Devil Di- Moon, Do- Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, yes. and Amy did the covers for that. And that, that was really big because that, that's the series where they established a young girl as the smartest girl in the Marvel Universe. You know, he was the I one think, that wrote it. I, th- the, I think the popularity of that book is, is, is everyone is looking now for something a little bit more than just a, a white guy in a cape hitting another white guy in a cape. There's, yeah. the, the, there's a different voices that's uh, involved. Well, I mean, that's the brilliance of Image because all those books go there and then they, they you know, hopefully some, now now everybody's doing it. So now it's like a little bit like white noise. Right. So it's a matter of like what will hit, what will people like. I mean, Saga became like a big hit out of nowhere. So you never know what's going to work. It's like it's like Hollywood now. You know, you're throwing stuff against the wall and seeing if it sticks. Seeing what sticks. Seeing what sticks. And, and a lot of people have opportunities, but even now... Even now, image is becoming selective. Yeah, you know because so many people are coming to them with properties. Everybody wants to have the next Walking Dead. Oh, I need to have that next Walking Dead. Oh, you know, but it doesn't happen that way. Looking at the curtain money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're into kind of like the final couple of minutes of our chat. Has anyone got any questions that they would like to put? Yeah. Oh, here we go. The man behind the pole is about to speak. <laughs> yeah, if you, you missed it. There he is. Speak behind the pole, please. Uh, how do you recommend like getting started, like getting into it? It depends on what, where, what do you want? Writer, penciler. Penciler. All right. It's very simple. You, you, you start, you know, drawing as much as possible. Start producing pages. Start. I, I always recommend look at an artist's work who you like, 
and try to emulate what they're doing. And remember, it's, it's you got to produce pages on a regular. You got to get that muscle going. You got to be able to produce at least five pages a week. So you know that takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of getting used to because you got to be able to think on your feet. You got to understand your character. You got to know your character. You got to know a lot of characters, what they look like, how they are. I've seen some <coughs> you know, advice also back away from the splash pages. Actually, yeah, well, people, people, a, a story. Of yeah, fun. because people want to. Editors want to see you tell a story. They don't want to see people beating each other up all the time, <laughs> because that doesn't. That everybody does. Everybody knows how to handle a fight scene, but they don't, can you handle a scene between two people sitting down having a cup of coffee, and make it interesting. You know, there's always the adage of Wally Wood's 22 panels that always work. Uh, actually, the interesting thing about that is that Wally Wood laid that out, and Larry Hama was the one that <coughs> fleshed it out. So Larry Hama actually added a couple of panels to it. But they're brilliant panels to show artists and how to move the camera and what kind of shots you can use to make the story interesting. Because if you can't draw two people sitting in a room having a conversation, then what's the point? Then you, you can't capture any. Anybody can capture a scene where people are knocking each other out or blowing things up. That's yeah. easy. But go and, go and watch um, Heat. Uh, yeah. Watch the De Niro Pacino scene and see yeah. how that's done as a piece of uh, storytelling. I think. That's well, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of stuff <laughs> of that is on a cutting room floor that we never get to see. <laughs> this is true. Because apparently they riffed that. They yeah. they 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 did that. You know, they let them just talk. You know, let the play out your characters, man. Have fun. Yeah. It's really interesting what you were saying about that because when you listen to most people like pencils that are bros, they always say like concentrate on the storytelling. The storytelling is look, <clears throat> you can always get better at drawing, you know. But the storytelling rules, the rules. It doesn't no matter what book you look at. The most interesting ones are people that are able to draw expressive people reacting in certain situations. You know, if you can draw somebody agony about some pain that they're going through and having this conversation with maybe someone the, the other characters insensitive or something and just like this you gotta you gotta know facial expressions you know you also have to know how to draw different characters of faces because some people get stuck on drawing the same faces all the time mm. and not everybody's face looks the same you know when you, when you look at the sample scripts that the big publishers put out there's almost a like the converse of that that they're big double page things and you see the same sort of sample pages come through and through on these big actions right because people get stuck on certain things and they think that's what, what they want but they're trying to look for something different they want to see uh, who who can break the mold and and be creative with the, the, those pages and that, that's why you get a, a sample script like that. And I always say, don't get a sample script. Get some, go look at some book that you, didn't, you, you wanted to do the storytelling differently or didn't like the way it was handled, and reinterpret it. That's why I always say, reinterpret the origins of the character. Re, do your version of the Hulk's origin. You know? Try to find a different perspective on how to approach that origin. And that will blow their minds more because it's a story that's been done and done over and over and over again. But if you bring something new to it, it's the same way when, when, when Marvels came out with Alex Ross. He brought something new to it. He brought a yeah. new, fresh look to the same stories, to the same origins. And people were like, holy moly, oh my God, look at that, that's incredible. You know, that's, that's what an artist's job is to do. It's like, to, you know, films that, that make you think twice, that change the perspective, that make you, that blow you. Like, it, first time everybody saw The Matrix, how were you? You're like, 
It's, a, it's an old added story. We've all seen that story a million times, but now it's told differently with high-speed motion of bullet dodging. Whoa! You know, oh, people climbing on walls, and you're like, wow, that, they brought like manga to movies. Um, and it, it's ever-evolving. It's always trying to do something different. But you still can be conservative in your, in your drawing in the beginning, but just try to be creative in how you present your story and your characters, you know? The drawing is, is like I, I could show you uh, uh, pages I did when I was 16 and then redid them later or reinterpreted them, you know? And I think that is a, an ideal place to uh, wrap up our chat now. Um, I know we've turned it into very much into a fireside, and I hope that you did catch some of it over there. Um, People of Earth at other tables, <laughs> we hope you have heard this universe of comics. We know that you're far away, but we're communicating with this technology that reaches so far. Okay, it's the hangover's definitely kicking in now. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. And a round of applause, please, for Robbie Max. Woo! Now it's time for karaoke.